Welcome back, everyone. We have an exciting week ahead of us. We have some of the biggest earnings in the market happening this week. In fact, this is considered the biggest earnings week of the earnings season. In front of us now, we have a list of the most anticipated earnings reports, lots of big companies here. And what I've done is I've gone through and I've circled the ones that I think are the most notable, the ones that I want to go over and give my predictions of. We just had Coca-Cola. They reported this morning. But then tomorrow, we have Verizon, McDonald's, Spotify, Microsoft, and Google. So two big tech companies. And then we have Visa and Chipotle. So tomorrow we get to see how Verizon's doing. I'm going to give some thoughts on Verizon and a little bit of analysis on it. We get to see how the food industry is doing with McDonald's and Chipotle. We can see what Spotify's up to. We haven't looked at that company in a while. And then we have two big tech companies, which these ones really drive the market. So tomorrow is a massive day in the market. Then on Wednesday, we have Meta, another big tech company. We'll get to see how Meta's doing. We have Roku. And then Thursday is another massive day. Thursday, we have Amazon, Intel, Snapchat, MasterCard, and Crocs. So another five huge companies reporting earnings. I'm going to be going over all of these and giving my thoughts, my predictions on what's going to happen and what investors should have in their mind going into these earnings. So we have a lot to get to. We're going to be reviewing all of these. I think it's going to be a very fun video. I'm going to put timestamps with all the tickers of the different companies, but I hope you enjoy the whole video. Okay, now let's go ahead and jump right in. The first thing I want to mention is before we get to the specific companies, I want to share some thoughts about how I view earnings reports, my mind frame going into them. When I first started investing, the big thing for me that I focused on was what the news focused on. And when you go into earnings season, there's a couple things that the news always focuses on. They focus on whether or not the company beat its earnings per share estimates or whether they missed it, whether they beat their revenue estimates or whether they missed it. Every single quarter, a bunch of different analysts come up with different analysis of what the EPS will be and what the revenue will be. And that forms a consensus EPS and revenue estimate. And then the company either beats that by coming in above those estimates or they miss it by coming in below. Like it's a pass fail. Even if they're really close, but they miss by a couple pennies, they missed. The company failed. It was pass fail and they missed their earnings per share estimates. And when I first started investing, I'd look at all the companies in my portfolio. And I would see the news that this company missed its earnings per share estimate. And I'd be so bummed because of that. I think the company is doing poorly. It's missing its revenue and its earnings per share. If a company beat its earnings per share, I'd feel so good. Like my company's doing a great job. And that is a totally wrong way to look at earnings if you're a long-term investor. If you're a long-term investor, then if the company came in a few pennies above its earnings per share estimates... That's not really all that relevant to the long-term story of the company. If the company's margins were 100 basis points above or below, that's just not that relevant. Instead, what long-term investors should be focused on is the overall story arc of the company, the overall qualities of the company, the moat, the earnings power, the amount of customers it can gain, the long-term investments that the company's making. Many of the things that are short-term are whether or not they beat quarter by quarter, but long-term, we should look at the overall qualities of a company. So when I'm looking at earnings season coming up, the type of questions I'm asking are not just if they beat their earnings per share revenue, but I'm asking if the company's still growing, if it's still maintaining a moat, if the leadership is still in 
acting in a way that's in the long-term benefit of the company. And we can look at different metrics and different investments that companies do in order to accomplish those goals. So that's my thought process going in. It's more of a long-term approach. And I think that most investors should not pay so close attention to the earnings per share estimates and the revenue and base the entire company's performance on that. Now, having said that, let's go ahead and jump right in. We'll start off and we'll go left to right throughout this week. The first one that I want to mention is Coca-Cola. They just reported earnings this morning. And the story of Coca-Cola is all the same. It's still on track. Nothing's changed. It has a wide moat, has an incredibly lucrative business. I think it's very difficult to to dislodge or disrupt Coca-Cola where it is right now. They do have some competitors with Monster Energy, Celsius, Red Bull, some other companies in the energy drink category. But I think overall, if you're a Coca-Cola investor like Warren Buffett, you don't feel any need to sell the company right now. Now, there's some other companies on this list. Starting off Tuesday, we have Verizon reporting their earnings. And let me bring it up here on Qualtrum. Qualtrum, by the way, is a website that I developed as part of the Patreon membership. You can try it out for free. But let's go ahead and plug in Verizon here. We have it up. Verizon is a company, and I've said this for over two years straight. Verizon's a company that I believe is a value trap. I think it's just a run-of-the-mill value trap. I don't like the investment. I was invested in it very early when I started off dividend investing. And once I learned more about the economics of companies and what drives intrinsic value growth and compounding, I sold out of this company. The value trap part of it is it always trades at low multiples and high free cash flow yields. So it trades at a 6.6% free cash flow yield, trades at a PE ratio of a seven. So it's always decent value. And that's what a value trap is. You get lured into the good valuation metrics. And if you just focus on those and you don't look at the other economics of the company, you realize that you buy into a company that's going nowhere and gives you very, very bad returns over a long period of time. We can look at just one piece of evidence here, and I won't spend too much time on this, but this is the free cash flow of Verizon. Here's the $10 billion mark. Notice something there. The free cash flow has been the same since 2002. So they have not improved their free cash flow growth since literally 2002. Over 20 years ago, no free cash flow growth. And then we can just simply look at some other things that they have changed over time, like the amount of debt. We can look at the long-term debt here. And even though their free cash flow has remained the same, their amount of debt has gone up substantially since then. So overall, I think the company is becoming less attractive over time, not more attractive. And personally, when I invest in companies, I'm looking for companies that can grow their free cash flow by at least 12% per year. I want free cash flow per share growth of around 15% per year. So Verizon, in my opinion, is a value trap. And this is one of the companies that even though earnings season's coming up and they have earnings tomorrow, even if they beat their earnings and beat their revenue, which they probably will, that does not make it a good investment. In my opinion, I think it's a very, very poor investment. Next up, we have McDonald's here. Let's go ahead and bring up McDonald's on, on Qualtrum here. I believe that the restaurant category is still going to do really well. Now, I have a hard time saying this because it's done so well for so long that you believe there has to be a pullback at some point or another. But when I look at fast food lines, when I look at McDonald's fast food lines, we have two of them in my city and both McDonald's are constantly backed up with people in the, the lines. And what I see is I see a lot of demand all the time with McDonald's. McDonald's has also been on top of their app. They have a great mobile app. 
They're better at getting orders out consistently. They've improved the consistency of their food. The management's doing a great job. This company's in good position. And I, I, I think they're going to have good earnings. I think that once again, the restaurants are going to have good earnings throughout this year. So McDonald's would surprise me. It would surprise me if they came in way below expectations or they had something go fundamentally wrong with their business this quarter, that would be a shock because I think this company, I, I think it's firing on all cylinders. McDonald's, unlike Verizon, would be a company that I'd be happy to be invested in. I think the company's great. My problem with McDonald's specifically is I think the company's very expensive. For a restaurant, it's a pretty expensive company. 26 Ford PE, free cash flow yield of 2.56. So investors are paying a lot for McDonald's right now. It has very high expectations. I'm not willing to pay that much for McDonald's because I have other companies that I think deserve the cash a little bit more. Companies that are growing a little bit faster. Now, after McDonald's, we have a tech company, which is Spotify. Spotify is a great product. It's a company that I've used the product for a number of years. I'm, I'm glued to it. Whenever I try to leave Spotify, I end up coming back. And that's a good sign for the company because they actually have stats on this. Over 70% of the people that leave the company, Spotify, and try to go to a competing product, they come back. So it is a very sticky product. Having said that, the problem I have with Spotify is that they focus on all these different KPIs like usership growth, revenue growth, growing out their podcast platform. They're growing, but they're not growing profitably. So even though the company's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, the economics haven't improved. Check out this chart here that shows in orange the amount of free cash flow they generate, and then in blue the amount of stock-based compensation they do. Over the past year, they've, they've done more in stock-based comp than they've done in free cash flow. And this is for a very mature company. Spotify has been around for a long time. Companies are uh, very, very old. And I, I don't love the idea of owning a company that even though it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, it never becomes profitable. It never has any year where it has any massive profits. Right now, I'm staying out of that one. Now, after Spotify Tuesday on market close, we have two massive earnings reports. I'd even say three because Visa is a pretty big deal. But we have Microsoft, Google, and Visa. Three massive earnings reports coming up Tuesday after market close. Let's go ahead and start off with Microsoft here. When I look at Microsoft, I've said this many times before, I'm heavily invested in this company. I think it's the post- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply child of a company with great fundamentals. Having said that, Microsoft's business relies heavily on the entire economics of the Fortune 500. So if you're a Fortune 500 company, you use Microsoft products one way or another, use Microsoft Teams, use Azure cloud hosting, use the suite of Excel products and that type of thing. They have so many different products, they sell business to business. And the issue for Microsoft that they're facing is that they sell to all these Fortune 500 companies and many of these Fortune 500 companies and even smaller tech companies, they're cutting back. They're cutting back in the amount of licenses they need, the amount of seats. Many of them are doing layoffs. 
And of course, when they do layoffs, they say, hey, Microsoft, we don't need as many licenses for Excel. We don't need as many licenses for, for this and that. We don't need as much cloud hosting. So Microsoft, I believe, I'm not sure on this, but I think it might show some weakness this quarter. That would be my guess. I think it's going to be tough for them to grow their business and have a lot of growth when all of their customers and the broader S&P 500 and the Fortune 500 companies, they're all cutting back a little bit. So I think Microsoft is trying to swim upstream. They're fighting an uphill battle. I, I think it's going to be a very difficult next three quarters for them. Now, the history, statistically speaking, Microsoft statistically beats earnings per share and revenue all the time. They beat it nine times out of 10. Out of the past 20 earnings reports, I believe they beat it like 18 times. So they're very good at beating their earnings per share and revenue. But again, I have my concerns this time with the, the way the economy is working and how businesses are focusing on efficiency and profitability and cutting back on excess. A lot of that cutting back on excess is cutting back on Microsoft. So that's my thoughts on it. I think it might be a weaker earnings report. In terms of the fundamentals of the business and the continued story arc of it, I believe the moat is still in place. So even if it goes through a weaker quarter or two, I'm not concerned about this company. It is incredibly strong. It has an incredibly wide moat. The economics are incredible with this company. The profitability, the margins of it are very consistent. They're even growing over time. They've done such a good job with the company. So I think Microsoft is just as relevant today as it was 20 years ago. I think the cloud business is still going to grow over time. I think their, their suite of office products are still very well positioned. I think that ChatGPT, the technology behind that and how they got ahead of Google with that, I think was incredible, incredible pivoting by, uh, I'm forgetting his name, not Sundar Pichai, he's of Google. What is uh, Microsoft? Satya Nadella. I think that he did such a good job getting ahead of Sundar Pichai. So they're, they're taking different approaches with it, but I really like what Microsoft has done. I think another weakness potential in Microsoft's business might be the gaming portion. I, I, I still think people are in the mode of going out getting out of the house, having experiences. And I think it's going to take a while for the pull forward of COVID to work its way out of the gaming category. So it'll be interesting to see. Long term, I'm very bullish on Microsoft. I'm invested in the company. Short term, I think that they're going to have a little bit of struggle. Now, moving on, of course, we have Google, the other massive big tech company reporting this week. We have it pulled up here. Google trades at a lower valuation of Microsoft. So that's why a lot of companies are, or sorry, investors are focused on Google is because the company trades at a lower valuation, an 18 Ford PE ratio of 4.23% free cash flow yield. These are very good valuation metrics. It paints the companies being relatively cheap right now. And I think Google has traded down too much. I think the company's undervalued. I'm invested in the company personally. Now, a couple notes on Google. Google released their AI chatbot, which is Google Bard, and investors quickly noticed it's not as good as ChatGPT. So investors got concerned that maybe Google doesn't have as much of an edge on AI as Microsoft does. Maybe they're, they're behind Microsoft. But then Sundar Pichai just last week went on to 60 Minutes, and he said in that that, yes, we know it's not as powerful, but this isn't all we have. He said, obviously, this is not our, our most capable chatbot. They have more powerful chatbots that they have not yet released. And he said that he wanted to basically get people a little bit used to Bard before doing the next releases, because the next releases are scary powerful. So 
We don't really know, but he gave a strong impression that Google has something much more powerful than BARD, much more powerful language models, and even ones that are hooked up to search and, and internet access, which is different than how BARD operates right now. So basically, it's a long way of saying that Google might actually still be ahead of Microsoft and AI, but they just haven't released the tech yet. We don't know, but that's one of the assumptions being made here. Outside of the AI chat GPT BARD debate, Google has its core products, which are doing great. I think out of everything that I'm going to be looking for on Google's earnings report, the biggest thing I'm going to be looking for, I'll be ignoring the, the, Google, uh, the Google core search. I'll be ignoring YouTube. That stuff is going to be fine. We already know about those businesses. The thing that I'll be looking at is the cloud service revenue the cloud product. I want to see that grow. And more importantly, I want to see the margins improve on that to where it can eventually become profitable, hopefully profitable this year. If Google Cloud became profitable, that'd be a massive tailwind for this company. So far, Google has multiple parts of their businesses that are profitable. They have the core search, they have Android, they have YouTube, all generating profits. Then they have their other bets, which is a money furnace. They burn money in the other bets. Then they have Google Cloud. Google Cloud is the fastest growing portion of the business. It's where they've hired the most new employees, where they put the most new capital in, and it's not yet profitable. So once that gets profitable, that is another entire pillar of their business, more important than YouTube, that will suddenly become profitable and be a tailwind with growing profits year over year. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. When I look at Google's report, I'll be looking over the other stuff but the cloud is by far the most important storyline right now with this company. I think that Google's earnings are going to be good. I, I think they will be. I think YouTube has been doing well. I think Google search has been doing well. I don't think that ChatGPT is taking massive market share from search or anything like that. But again, my focus when I'm looking at Google is going to be Google Cloud. I'm hoping that the margins go up and that it loses less money this quarter than it did the previous quarter. It's not going to be profitable this quarter, but I want to see the losses decrease at an accelerated rate so it gets closer and closer to profitability. So Microsoft and Alphabet, those are going to be two big ones. The next big one is going to be Visa. Now, if we think about how Visa reacts, Microsoft is a weather vane for corporate spending. If corporate spending is doing well and the business world is doing well and growing, Microsoft's earnings are going to grow. Visa is similar, but with consumer spending. So it's a weather vane for the overall consumer economy and how much we're spending. I think their earnings are going to be good. I think they're going to meet their expectations or be right in line with them. I believe the company right now is a high quality compounder that has a lot of continued growth ahead of it. Visa has a natural hedge against inflation. As inflation goes up, consumers spend more money. They already hedge against that. And the company right now, I think, trades at a good valuation. So there's not too much baked into the price already, in my opinion, with this company. So the earnings report for Visa, I think, will be very simple. I think the earnings will be good. I think consumer spending is going to be very strong. You'll probably see even headlines of being stronger than expected. But I wouldn't bet on this. This is just my prediction. I can't see the future. Maybe I could be wrong. Let's go ahead and move on to Chipotle here. Now, we have Chipotle brought up here, ticker symbol CMG. And this company trades, if you can see it there, let me zoom in a bit, at $1,800 per share. The stock price has really gone up and they haven't done any stock splits. So it's trading at a very high valuation. The valuation right now is at a PE ratio of 35 and a free cash flow yield of 1.7, which feels too expensive. When you first glance at this company, it feels too expensive. 
But keep in mind, this P-E ratio of 35 is the same as it was five years ago. So the P-E ratio hasn't changed all that much over the past five years, but the stock price has gone up hundreds and hundreds of percentages over the past five years. This has been a wonderful investment, an incredibly strong company to invest in. This is one of Bill Ackman's main holdings and one of the ones that he was most notably public about. And no matter what you think of Bill Ackman, he got Chipotle right. He really nailed this investment. This shows you that, again, a lot of investors are focused on the next quarter. What's going to be the earnings per share? What's going to be the revenue? What is the P-E ratio that's based on next year's earnings? These are all quarterly short-term viewpoints. And I did a video on this where I went into an interview that Bill Ackman had years and years and years ago. This was all the way back in 2017. 2017. To put that in perspective, during the time of this interview that I'm going to show you, Chipotle was trading as a $7 billion company. Now it's a $50 billion company. So the interview was $7 billion. It's currently trading at a $50 billion valuation. Let's go ahead and take a look at some of just the, some of just the parts of this interview that I think stand out. About Chipotle, uh, Bill, if we could. Sure. Um, shares got crushed again last week on earnings. Yeah. What makes you still convinced that you can turn this thing around? So we're, we're early. We joined the board in the last year. Uh, and we're going to work hard to make it uh, help the company turn. Um, but it's work, there's work to do, for sure. Okay, so he says that there's work to do with the company. And again, this was back in 2017. The stock price of Chipotle was $275, currently $1,800. So there was a lot of work to do, and it seemed to work out really well for him. But I want you to listen to part of the debate here of what the other investors are focused on. The gang here today, um, Josh, you've been negative on Chipotle. Steve, you've been negative on Chipotle, suggesting that there's no reason why this stock can't continue to go lower. I love the, by the way, I love the restaurant. Um, I just think, uh, I just think there was a magic about the company and sometimes the magic wears off. And once it wears off, then people say, okay, it's a quick service restaurant. Why am I paying 30 times earnings for it? Why would investors pay 30 times earnings for Chipotle back in 2017? That's the problem with focusing on the short-term earnings estimates, is they only show you what's going to happen over the next couple of months. They do not tell you how the story arc of a company is going to be over the next five years. And this is what everyone was focused on. What is the P-E ratio of the company? What are next year's earnings, next quarter's earnings, the current multiple of the company? None of them look at it through the lens of a long-term story arc. They look at it through the lens of next quarterly earnings. How much are you right. paying for that in the current multiple? I mean, it's still, forget about what the stock's done. That, that doesn't really matter. What sure. matters is what have the earnings done and what's the valuation. Sure. And at 30 times next year, giving the benefit they hit their target for once, first time in three years, yeah. it's still very expensive in a competitive space. I would it was $275 and it was very expensive, very expensive at that time. And notice how Bill Ackman does not focus on the current multiple. He focuses on the long-term story arc. You know, the problem, the opportunities in the stock market are created because most investors are focused on what are next year's earnings going to be, what's an appropriate multiple. And for a story like this one, where a company's been through what they've been through, sales have gone from two and a half to two million, the right way to look at it in our view is not just to put a multiple next year. You're like, okay, what's a reasonable trajectory for a recovery and what will the earnings be two years out, four years out, six years out, and then discount those earnings back in time. On that basis, it's a very cheap stock if they can perform. So that's the biggest distinction there. While all of them are focused on next quarterly report, the next earnings, Ackman is focused on the long-term storyline of the company. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Instead of focusing on just the current multiple, just the free cash flow yield, 
Look at the qualities of the business and how things will develop over the next five years. It has a much bigger determining factor. So right now, the multiple is around the same for Chipotle as it was back in 2017. If we look at the performance since then, it's up well over 500%. This goes back to 2018. Back in 2017 was right here at the lowest point to be buying the company. $270, $300 per share. Now with my expectations going forward with Chipotle, I think they're gonna have good results. I think just like McDonald's, I'm expecting the food industry, the quick service restaurant industry to do really well overall. So Chipotle is one that I'm, I'm bullish on. I think it's gonna do great. I look forward to the earnings. It's gonna be on my watch list. If we do have a sell-off, if we have investors panic because of a slow quarter, I just might jump into that one. Now, moving on from Chipotle, we have another giant company reporting earnings, which is Meta. Another big tech company here. Let's go ahead and type this one in here. Meta has always been around the narrative of the company. That's what's been driving this company's stock price performance. Now, we have a story here. I used to own Meta. I sold out of the company at a very favorable time, right around here. I sold out of the company because Mark Zuckerberg was talking about the metaverse. That's all he was focused on here was the metaverse. He was talking about all the investments they're making and the new goggles they're coming out with and all the, he was coming out with the videos and, and advertisements and promos for the metaverse and talking about how he's going to sink a lot of money into this metaverse. And the ROI on this money is very unknown. So obviously investors did not like all of this discussion around the metaverse. The stock price completely plummeted over the following year. And what did Mark Zuckerberg do? He had a choice there. He could continue to talk about the metaverse ad nauseum and talk about how he's investing more and more money there, but he made a huge pivot. Once the stock price hit an ultimate low, a couple weeks later, Mark Zuckerberg came out with a letter. He published a letter saying that he was optimizing the business. And the letter really did not mention the metaverse at all. This letter was a complete pivot, a 180 degree turn from all of the talk of the metaverse. Now he was focused on profitability, laying off employees of the company, doing a, a different layout of the management structure to have less managers, more people working at the company, doing the hands-on stuff. He talked incessantly about cost structure and optimization. After doing that, the company had a huge rally back to $200 per share. It's not back to where it was in 2021 as things were getting out of control, but it's had a huge rally up 100% from its lows. So it's gone through this dramatic pivot and the stock price has run back up to where it now has a PE ratio of 15. A more average value where it's neither really undervalued or really overvalued at this point, And it has a free cash flow yield of 3.41%. So I know a lot of meta investors that bought into the company when it was dipping are now taking gains. Many of them are moving on to different positions. Now, my thoughts on meta, first of all, I'm a little bit biased against Meta because I don't like social media companies overall all that much. I don't like the industry. I don't like Pinterest that much. I don't like Snapchat. And I don't love Instagram and Facebook that much. I, I just don't love the industry all that much. I think it has a lot of problems. There's always le legality issues. They're always being called in front of Congress. And then they have ad problems and, and there's all different things with it. So I'm a little bit biased against this industry. I've invested in Meta before. I made a little bit of money on the company, but it was never a huge holding. When I look at the company and the challenges they're facing, one of the biggest ones is the cost structure of the company. You can see the problem here with the growing amount of stock-based compensation. Like every big tech company, 
Meta faces this as well. And I think this is a challenge for the company. So I think what investors should be focused on with these upcoming earnings is looking at the cost structure, looking at the, the amount of stock-based compensation compared to the amount of free cash flow and compared to the amount of CapEx investments. We should see stock-based compensation start to fall a little bit as they've been doing these aggressive layoffs. And then we should also see free cash flow start to go back up as they're at least leveling out their CapEx spend. In the past quarter, they've been spending $9 billion on CapEx in a single quarter, which is massive. This is around 30% of their revenue going to CapEx, massive CapEx spend. That needs to level out at a minimum or at least go down for them to generate their growing free cash flows. So that's what I'm going to be focused on with Meta's earnings report, the cost structure of the company, the stock-based compensation, the CapEx spend, and the other stuff, whether or not they gain a, a few... 10 million new users or lose 10 million users, I don't think is the biggest deal. I think the cost structure is going to be the primary focus. And I think that overall, they're, they're going to have positive metrics because it sounds like Zuckerberg has been very focused on this pivot. It's not just talk. He has laid off a lot of people. He has focused on optimizing costs. Now, next up, of course, we have Roku reporting earnings Wednesday after close as well. This is a company that I've never, I've never been behind the story of this company. I think there's too many problems and headwinds that it faces. First of all, the performance of the company over the past two years has been minus 84%. It got hyped up to a point that was incredible, where people thought that Roku was taking over the world. This was in line with the Kathy Wood ARK Invest hype, one of her key holdings. And then it came back down to reality that this company's not making any money right now, and it faces intense competition. Part of their competition is Apple with the Apple TV, and then you have even more intense competition from Amazon with the Amazon Fire. Amazon's practically giving away TVs on Amazon just to get people using their Fire TV. So when you buy the Amazon TV, it comes with the Fire TV built inside, like many many Roku TVs as well. They have the Roku built inside. The, the reason that they want to subsidize the hardware to get you using their, their piece of software is just like Apple wanting to get you to use an iPhone. They want you to get into the ecosystem and then they can monetize you a bunch of different ways through advertisements, through different media and content that they produce, through all different means. So this is a platform play. Roku wants to become such a massive platform in smart TVs that they can leverage that to sell advertising, that they can build out their own little mini Netflix service, that they can sell uh, subscriptions and different things in shops. They can have lots of different ways of monetizing it if they become a big enough platform. So that's the story and the thesis of the company. But like many of these companies that talk really big about their big grandiose plans, the metrics don't look too favorable. The earnings per share has been negative for the past three quarters. It's expected to be negative this next quarter. So we're going to have minus earnings per share. And then, of course, this is another company where their free cash flow is all over the place, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. But then they're another one where they have the high stock-based compensation expense that's going up over time, meaning they're diluting shareholders. I don't know if they'll beat or miss. I can't say. But I think it's just going to be tough. That's my guess on this one. Now, next up, we have Thursday morning. We have MasterCard, the duopoly with Visa, reporting earnings as well. And the comments that I said around Visa, you could almost use those for MasterCard as well. I'm personally invested in MasterCard. I'm extremely bullish on the company. The more that I read about it and research it, the more that my concerns about the mode of the company and competitive threats, those go away a little bit. And I realize the fundamentals of this company and how good of a compounder it is. 
The revenue growth is remarkable. It transfers all of its revenue into EBITDA. The free cash flow is so efficient. All of their cash that they generate goes right back to the investors. So the free cash flow generation is incredible. Stock-based compensation, not a problem for this company. Their free cash flow per share growth is around 17%. Even when you adjust out stock-based compensation, it's still around around 16.5%. The market average is around 8%. So MasterCard is growing its free cash flow per share at a rate of around double the speed of the market average. So even though the company trades at a 29 Ford PE, it deserves to trade that way because it's growing its intrinsic value at roughly double the annual rate of the S&P 500. So I think this company's wonderful. I think it's a high quality compounder. I think it trades at a reasonable valuation. I'm personally bought into the company and the story of it. I don't concern myself with the competitive threats of of uh, cryptocurrency or any of that type of stuff. I don't think that it's a credible threat. I think the biggest potential threat to MasterCard maybe sometime down the road is something like Apple Pay. I think that could potentially be a threat, but right now it seems like Apple's much more inclined to work alongside Visa MasterCard than to butt heads with them. So as of right now, I think the earnings for MasterCard and Visa, both of them are gonna be good. I think the companies are very high quality. I don't think there's too much baked into their price. And I expect a lot from MasterCard. I have very high expectations for the company. We look at Crocs here. This is another company that I own just a little bit of. I own $100 right now. At one point, I invested $1,000 into Crocs, and it grew to a $1,800 position. So I quickly made 80% gains in the company in around three months. So this was a small buy for me. I bought $1,000 worth of it right here. It raced up to an $1,800 position, and I sold the majority of it right there to lock in the gains, and I put those gains into Google. That was the trade that I did. Now, it probably would have been better if I would have just kept it in Crocs. And I think that's a mistake I made. I sold the company because at the time, getting any gains from any company was incredibly tough in 2022. So when this company went up 80%, I felt like it was prudent to at least lock in some of those gains and put it into a different company that's a little bit less volatile. Having said that, when I look over the fundamentals of Crocs and the brand value of this company, which I know it sounds funny. It's Crocs, the silly shoes. Uh, uh, You have Gen Z decking out their Crocs shoes. I believe there's sustainable brand value with Crocs. People like the brand Crocs. They don't want the Chinese knockoffs. They don't want the, the secondhand pairs. They want brand new $60 a pair Crocs. On top of that, Crocs bought the brand Hey Dude, another very casual shoe that's incredibly comfortable. Now, I've never worn a pair of Crocs shoes in my life. I haven't owned a pair ever, but I do own a number of pairs of Hey Dudes. I think they're the most comfortable shoes on earth. So Crocs owns two different brands that are both different enough that they give them access to a different category of consumer, but they're both incredibly comfortable and they have good brand value. When I buy Hey Dudes, I don't wanna buy knockoffs. I wanna buy the real thing. So I think this company has more sustained ability to keep its economics than a trendy company. I wouldn't consider this just a trendy company, but when I look at the company, I regret selling it a little bit because I actually don't think that it's overvalued. It's still trading at a PE ratio below nine. Very low expectations for the company. The only real downside of the company right now is to buy the Hey Dude brand. They overpaid a little bit. They bought it during the peak hype and they paid mostly with cash. So they took out a lot of debt for it. They're paying this down super fast. So they went from 2.8 billion 
down to $2.2 billion in just a year. Incredibly fast payoff of their debt. And they're also buying back shares while paying back the debt. So Crocs is a really neat company. They've really done well. The management has done great. Very cool company below a $10 billion valuation. Another thing I'd pay attention to with Crocs is we have right here this part on Qualtrum that shows you the insider trades of the company. And you can see what they're doing, if they're buying and if they're selling. I would pay attention to what the insiders are doing. Because one of the biggest indicators to me that this company was undervalued was the amount of insane buying that was happening from all of the insiders, the executives, the board of directors, everybody in the company was buying the company hand over fist when it sold down here. They were using their own money, their own salaries. It wasn't just stock options just uh, maturing. This was them buying the company like crazy. When I saw that, as well as the valuation, as well as the ac acquisition, I thought it was a good buy as well. And I think that's a big indicator. So keep that in mind. Insiders sell stocks for all different reasons. But when you see all of them buying a company, they only really do that for one reason, and it's to make a lot of money. Now, moving on from Crocs, we have a slightly bigger company, which is Amazon. I've talked about Amazon a lot, so I'm not going to restate the thesis here. But let me give you my predictions of this upcoming quarter. The biggest intrinsic value drivers of Amazon is the AWS business, the growth of that business over time and the economics of it, the advertising business, another huge intrinsic value driver of the company. And then you also have the prime business, which is layered upon the retail business. I believe that the retail business is going to do fine. It might come in slightly above, slightly below. That doesn't really matter in my opinion. I think it's going to be mostly in line with expectations. I think the advertising business is going to do well. I believe that Amazon is taking advertising market share from Google and Meta. They have a better advertising platform because it's directly what the customer is shopping for. And I believe where Amazon is going to struggle is with AWS, Amazon's web services. I think this is going to be a big frowny face for the company. It's going to be sad. I'm expecting that going in as an investor. And I'm expecting people to blast Amazon investors saying, look at this, AWS has slowed down so much over the past 90 days. It's slowed down, it's now down to the low teens growth rate. Like I said with Microsoft, companies in the Fortune 500 are pulling back on their spend. They're trying to optimize, they're trying to cut costs, and they're doing that everywhere possible. So a lot of them are firing employees, they're firing off different divisions, and they're cutting back on licenses from companies like Adobe, like Microsoft, and then they're also cutting costs where they can in one of their biggest expenses, which is cloud. I think we're going to see a lot of investors bash Amazon for the slow growth in AWS that I'm expecting, but I don't think that's going to be too detrimental to the story. So if you're invested in Amazon like I am, I think that's what you have to be ready for. You have to be ready for the critics talking about the big slowdown in Amazon AWS. Now, moving on, we got to talk about Intel. This is one of the most popular value investments, dividend paying investments. And it's one that I've been bearish on and I've been trying to persuade investors away from for a long period of time. I don't like this company in the business that it's in, the risks that it has, and the operating efficiency of it. It's not that efficient of a business. It has a lot of expenses, a lot of risks and research and development and CapEx. The performance of it has been horrible over the past couple of years because the company has faced intense competition from new rivals. But I will say what makes me think that there may be some upside with this company is like I said with Crocs, seeing the insiders aggressively buy the company, that really changes the calculation. When you see insiders aggressively buying the company over and over again, they could be wrong, 
but insiders usually know what's going on the most with the company. I see the CEO of the company buying a lot of the company. These aren't just little symbolic buys. He bought 9,700 shares right there. He bought another 9,000 shares back in January 31st, and he continues to buy more and more shares of the company beyond what's necessary. He really believes the company's undervalued and that he can turn the company around. So Intel's a company that I don't find attractive because of the qualities of the company. It's not one that I'm ever gonna be buying the dip of, but it is encouraging to see the CEO of the company buy more and more shares of the company. Now, finally, we have the best right here. We saved the best for last, which is Snapchat. The nice thing about Snapchat in this earnings report is normally Snapchat is at the beginning of the week. And that's, that's meaningful because what Snapchat historically does is Snapchat's an awful business, if you're not aware. It's a terrible business, a terrible investment. It's been one of the worst investments all time since the IPO. I've routinely stated that this company is terrible in the way that it manages itself. It has super high expenses. It has a founder that's a multi-billionaire and the investors in the company have only lost money. So it's been an awful investment. And what they typically do is they report before all these other big companies. Snapchat has horrible earnings horrible reports with the advertising business, and it drops the stock price of Meta and Google as a result. Because investors believe that Snapchat's similar to Meta and Google. The nice thing is now they're reporting after both Google and Meta. So Snapchat can't hurt Google and Meta this week, which is nice for Google and Meta investors. So whether or not Snapchat beats or misses is not something I'm too concerned about. It can't impact Alphabet and Meta this time. And the company's one that I've never liked. I don't like the management. I don't like the, the way that they structure their business. I don't like the app. I don't like anything about it. So Snapchat's not one that I'll ever be investing in. But that is my earnings predictions. And I hope this was helpful to you looking forward to the next week. A lot to dive into. And of course, after all of this happens, I'll have another video that's a follow-up for the next week. So that's all for now. I hope you enjoyed and I'll see you in the next one.